Hello everyone, welcome to Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for being here and listening. I'm very excited because I'm actually recording this before the day that it's up. I'm finally like back somewhat ahead of schedule and I'm very, very excited about it because it has been quite the time to try to like get everything recorded and I have been very inconsistent with the days of my podcast. So I'm finally back and I'm finally like feeling on top of it instead of just on Thursdays and Mondays like afternoon recording it and putting it out right away. So I'm very excited. This is a good day. So today we are going over, this is our Bible episode, so I guess I should preface this. If you're new here, on Mondays I release a podcast that goes over any random topic. So like last week I learned about the Houston Astros cheating scandal, which probably everyone knew about, you know, since it broke. But I somehow did not learn about it. So I learned about it last week. So I did a podcast, I research a topic, learn about it, and present that topic to you. Um, But on Thursdays, what I do is I'm on this Bible in a Year plan, and I started late. I started in um, April, and I'm finishing in December. So I have to go over like about 30 chapters of the Bible every week. So it's kind of a lot, but... Um, I've been doing that. I'm a few weeks behind, so in the next couple months, I will be doubling up some weeks. But um, today we are going over Lamentations through like the middle of Ezekiel. So I think it's like Ezekiel 24 is what we're going to. And um, Ezekiel, you know, Ezekiel's been a tough read for me. It's kind of like Isaiah, um, actually, where it's very, very long. And it's a lot of prophecies, like kind of in poetic language. Like um, Isaiah is more poetic in the fact that it seemed literally like poems, basically. But Ezekiel is more long form, like very meaty (laughs) um, chapters. And it's just very long and very dense and kind of it it kind of says the same thing a lot of times. Um, But Lamentations, I actually really love. Like, that's kind of surprising to me because Lamentations obviously is a book of laments. So it's people, it's a man calling out to God and saying how sad he is, basically. But there, there were a few parts in Lamentations that hit me like a ton of bricks. So good. Like, it's a great book and especially these certain parts that I will read to you. So um, let's get started with Lamentations and Ezekiel. So let's get into this section. So the first, uh, like the order that we're going in, uh, the order of the Bible is Lamentations first and then Ezekiel. And remember, we're in the time where um, God has warned that the Babylonians are going to come and basically take over and destroy Israel and that Israel will be subject to the Babylonians for 70 years. Um, So it's not looking 
great for the Israelites, but it's because of their own sin. And so all this has been promised and God is saying like, because of your sin and because you have forgotten me and turned against me, this is kind of the punishment for that. So this is, let's start with the intro. Um, the Lamentations intro, it says that Lamentations is an eyewitness account of the Babylonians' destruction of Jerusalem in 856 BC. So it's kind of poetic. It's just about, they don't know who the actual author is, but they said it's most likely written to be prayed or sung in worship services um, that are devoted to ask God for forgiveness. So this man is watching Babylonian the Babylonians take over um, Jerusalem. And so that's why he is lamenting as he is. So it's only five chapters as well. So it's very short and very kind of easy to get through. And I honestly thought going into it that I really would not like it because it's so sad because he's lamenting. Um, but it actually was like, like I said, there were some parts that really hit home and I will tell you why. So, okay. Lamentations one, it talks about how the, des how deserted the city lies. There's no one to comfort her. Um, Judah, they said has gone into exile and she finds no resting place. Her foes have become her masters. The splendor has departed from daughter Zion. It's, and again, he says that this is because Jerusalem has sinned greatly. This isn't just a random wrath of God. I think people a lot of times present the Old Testament as this random, like outpouring of wrath from God just because, like, just because he wants to, I guess. But it's not like that if you actually read the whole thing. Yes, it is an outpouring of wrath, but it's because like he's made these covenants with Jerusalem, with the people. They agree. They say that we will never forsake you. We'll never forget you and we'll worship you all of our days and all this stuff. There's these covenants and then they sinned greatly, turned to idols, worship idols, all of this stuff. And it talks a lot, especially in Ezekiel, about how sinful Jerusalem has been. So just keep that in mind. It's not just like this random wrath of God that has been poured out. It's like it is punishment because he is just. Um, so there was an analogy that said my sins have been bound into a yoke and they have been hung on my neck. So that is a good picture of what's happening here. Um, and then it says the Lord is righteous, yet I rebelled against his command. So again, it's asking a lot of forgiveness from God for rebelling. Okay, Lamentations 2 says the Lord has covered Zion with a cloud of his anger. He has withdrawn his right hand at the approach of the enemy. Um, and it, this is interesting. It said the Lord is like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. So I, I never thought that he would be compared to the enemy. Like the Lord is like an enemy. I used to think that God never, like before I really read the Old Testament a lot, I thought that he, I don't know, this just struck me as odd. Like, um, and the more I reasoned through it, the more I realized like, yes, this is still the same thing where this is just justice being poured out because of the choices of Israel. Like this is because of the consequences of their choices. Um, but they worded it in such a way that it was like, the Lord is like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. So they were saying that it is on the Lord, you know? Um, so it's just a lot of different ways to say the same thing, but some ways that, uh, it is said in here 
I kind of have to like check myself and think about it more to make it like make sense with what I grew up with and what I was taught with taught um, about all this and stuff so um, but it does still make sense like he's a just God and so even if it's him punishing the, the Israelites it's because of their sin and their disobedience and stuff like that it said he did not with hand withhold his hand from destroying then there's a long poem about how much Israel has been destroyed how it's all being you know laid to waste and stuff like that and then it talks about again the visions of their prophets were false so there were a lot of times that they talked about in the previous books um, that these prophets would say everything's gonna be fine everything's gonna be peaceful it'll only take a couple years and we'll all be back like if the Babylonians take over us it'll just be a couple years until we return and it was false because the real prophets like Isaiah were saying no it's gonna be 70 years you're gonna be subject to them for 70 years as like basically penance for your sin and so there were lots and lots of false prophets in this time Okay, Lamentations 3, this is where it really got to me. Okay, so Lamentations 3 said, I am the man who has seen affliction. This is the man, the eyewitness guy. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. There's a lot about how God has destroyed him, like, personally, more personally than, like, Israel as a whole, you know? So... That was kind of interesting to read about where it kind of switches from like Israel as a whole to this particular man. But then this is, I'm just going to read this one part and I'm going to read part of the lead up of like the sadness and stuff just so you can kind of get the idea. But there were like 15 verses before this about how sad he is, about how he's been destroyed and all that stuff. So this is Lamentations 3, 16. It said, he has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. Okay, and here is where it gets good. Verse 19, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust, there may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Okay, this says so much. And I will tell you why, um, like, this whole thing has really struck me as like I don't know just a great verse okay so I do this thing I've been doing this thing the last like couple years um from Jordan Peterson he is a clinical psychologist I think and anyway he's like pretty famous now because he had this whole kind of fight in Canada about 
um, forced speech and not using like, like not forcing people to use pronouns. Um, anyway, so he was very controversial a few years back. He's now been on like Joe Rogan. He has his own podcast, all of this stuff. So, um, he has this tool because he's a psychologist called self-authoring and I did it last year. Um, and there's two, well, there's multiple parts, but the two parts that I've done are future authoring and past authoring. So last year before I did like whole 30 and I really wanted to have like kind of a life reset cause I felt very scattered. And so I did this future authoring program, which basically you write out your future goals and, um, basically envision like your best case scenario life. And then you do these actionable plans to get there. But then you also do like these, um, like your worst case scenario life. Like if you have all your bad habits that you have now and it kept going and it kept amplifying what your worst case scenario life looks like. So the whole thing is that you have something to run towards, but you also have something to run from. And I found it very helpful to have these like practical things that are like, it really just forces you to sit down and analyze your habits and stuff and make improvements. So I think I've had a solid improvement from last year about with a lot of these habits and things. So, um, I felt a little bit scattered like last weekend and I was like, you know what? It's been a year since these, um, since I did this and a lot of people who start doing this, do it every year. So I was like, okay, let me just sit down and go through those and I can do it again. And see the improvements from last year, but also then reset and kind of like take a new fresh look at my habits. Okay. So that's future authoring. But last year I did not do past authoring and past authoring is a little more intense. Past authoring is if you feel like guilty about some things or, um, if you have these memories that kind of like haunt you, I guess that might seem too serious, but you know, it's basically like working through past experiences in your life that were very, um, significant, could be good or bad and learning, like making a forced effort to like learn about them and what your part was in them and how to either, um, avoid that from happening again or to kind of recreate it, like good things that you did that made that happen or whatever. So I did that like right before I read Lamentations and um I went through like I had just written my college days significant events which uh, like I haven't said my full testimony on here or anything but my college days part of them were not the best like not it was not the best time of my life everyone says college is going to be like the best time of your life for me that was absolutely not true I would venture to say that a few years in there were probably the worst years that I've had (laughs) ever in my life. Um, so I was going through the significant events of that and they say, you know, like it can be kind of a lot to like go through these, some of these events, um, and like write about them and, and go through them in detail kind of. But so I was, I had remembered all this stuff that either I had done or things that had happened to me or, you know, some good things in there too, but it was just a lot of like, uh, memories and like writing. And so I was tired and exhausted and remembering like how, how many times I had just fallen short in college to my God given potential and like my calling in college, I guess. Um, 
So that was where I approached Lamentations 3. I really understood the Lamentations part, but then this hopeful chunk in the middle was like so nice. It was like the breath of fresh air that I needed after doing that whole thing. And by the way, like I feel way better after actually doing that whole exercise. Like it's not long lasting for like being kind of overwhelmed, but this whole chunk really helped me like where his mercies are new every morning and like he he doesn't willingly afflict people and you know you won't basically you won't feel like this for long you know so I just I loved um this part of the book so I I could read that all the time I think I'm gonna get that like printed out and like stick it in my room somewhere because I just love that whole chunk um so then after that it talks a lot more about the redemption of Israel and how they will come back and how the remnant will return. So Lamentations 4 says children of Zion were once worth their weight in gold, but now they're just pots of clay. They're hungry. There's going to be punishment on the people that is even greater than that of Sodom, which if you read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, they talk about how wicked they were and it's like very, very, very wicked. And the punishment on the people now is even greater than that. So you can just imagine what kind of stuff is going on um, with them. Um, it talks about cannibalism, how like women will eat their children because they're so hungry um, and there will be such famine and stuff. And then, uh, but it does have like the final little hopeful part that says your punishment will end at daughter Zion. So, um, there is some hope there at the end. Lamentations five said, remember us Lord. Tell, and then, um, he tells the Lord all the bad things that have happened to Israel and says, please remember us. Um, it, he praises him then and says, you Lord reign forever. Your throne endures. Why do you forsake us? And then restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. That's kind of how this Lamentations gets summed up, which makes a lot of sense why it's like used in worship services and like church services where they're asking for forgiveness because they say, why do you forsake us? Talks all about their sin and then says like, restore us to yourself. And they ask forgiveness for their sins. So in just five chapters, Lamentations became like, honestly, one of my favorite books. And maybe that's just because I'm like, so excited about chapter three that I talked about, but I just really like Lamentations. It's short, sweet, but it says all the, you know, all the sin they've done, ask for forgiveness and, and gives you some hope, which I don't rem I remember, I thought reading La uh, Lamentations before and not getting as much of that hope bit out of it. So maybe it's like the time that I read it helped, but, um, yeah, I just, I just really, really liked Lamentations. So, um, okay, let's get into Ezekiel. Okay. So as I mentioned, Ezekiel's kind of a tough one for me. It was hard to read. It was very similar to Isaiah. So let me just go through these. A lot of it is just going to be like, and yep, it's talking about how he's prophesying that Israel's going to fall again. Yep. He's, he's talking about how it's going to fall again. So take that as you, as you will. Um, okay. So Ezekiel one says Ezekiel was among the exiles and the heavens were open and he saw visions of God. So he saw a windstorm coming from the North. There was, you know, flashing and lightning and this brilliant light. And he talks about these four living creatures in the middle of it. it the appearance was kind of like a human, but with four faces and four wings. 
it said their feet were like those of a calf um gleamed with burn burnished bronze so there's like these living creature things that he's seeing in his visions of god so under their wings on four sides they had human hands so he's seeing these visions um in ezekiel 2 ezekiel gets called to be a prophet and god is sending him to the israelites so he says that they have been rebellious and stubborn um they will know that a prophet has been among them and then the lord tells ezekiel to not be afraid of what they say or be scared of them even though they're so rebellious and wicked and then this is kind of a an interesting one like so the second chapter kind of leads in with the story in the third chapter um which makes sense i guess the the breakdown of chapters is arbitrary in the bible but um it says god stretched out his hand and he had a scroll in his hand which he then unrolled and both sides were written with words of lament and mourning and woe and in ezekiel 3 the lord says to eat what is before you and then go so he's eating the scroll like i think it's in his vision but I think it's symbolic of like he's basically in being receptive to God's word to go then tell the Israelites because then God says like go like eat this scroll eat these words and go speak my words to the Israelites so the Lord then lifted him up and took him away uh, to the exiles that lived at Tel Aviv so he's now in the midst of Israelites and said he was deeply distressed there which I mean kind of makes sense. This is a lot to be happening um, to him. So he stayed there for seven days. And then he, the Lord says to him that he made Ezekiel a watchman for the people of Israel. So by that, he means that if he does not warn like a wicked person uh, about their wicked ways to try to save their life and they die, that Ezekiel will be held accountable, basically. So, but then when a righteous person turns from their righteousness, Um, and does evil, they will die. And it says, since you did not warn them, they will die for their sin. So both he and that person will die. So then this gets so interesting. I guess maybe I presented Ezekiel wrong in the beginning because not all of it is just prophecies, but like towards the end of my section that I read it is because there is actually kind of a lot of a storyline that happens here. But Ezekiel 4... So, um, let's see. So, or sorry, this is the end of Ezekiel three. It says, go shut yourself inside your house. Uh, someone will tie, uh, Ezekiel with ropes. So he's going to be bound and cannot go out. And then he is not going to be able to speak. So he's going to be mute. I think, I think that means he's like actually completely mute. Not just that he won't be able to speak to like, because he's in the house, you know, Um, so he will be silent and at the right time, God will let him speak to whoever will listen. So that carries into Ezekiel four, where it says God tells him to take a block of clay and put it in front of him. He's then supposed to draw the city on it and lay siege to it in this little like mini block of clay city. And that is going to be a sign to the people of Israel. Then it says, lie on your left side and put the sin of the people, like to bear the sin of the people of Israel on him for a certain period of time. And God says, I'm going to make you lay there a day for every year that Israel has been rebellious. So he has to lay there on his side 
for 390 days. And then he has to switch sides and lay on his right side for 40 days, which is the amount of years um, that Judah was rebellious. So then the Lord says, like, in preparation, get wheat and barley and all these foods and have, like, a storage container next to you because you're going to be laying down, kind of bound up um, for this amount of time. Make bread for yourself. And he says to use human excrement for fuel. But Ezekiel kind of protests and says, don't do, like, I don't want to do that. I've never put anything, like, unclean in my mouth or used it as, like, uh, fuel. And so he's, he is then allowed to use, like, cow dung for his food cooking. Um, But then there's a warning that there's about to be a famine. So this story was kind of odd to me. I don't really know like the full meaning of this other than the fact that he's preparing Ezekiel. Like, so for a lot of these things, we'll notice as we keep going, um, God makes Ezekiel do something and then uses that as like an example for the rest of Israel. So, Um, That happens multiple times. So I think that's something similar to this. So then in Ezekiel 5, God tells him to shave his head and beard, to divide the hair into thirds. And when the siege ends, burn a third of the hair inside the city, take a third and strike it with the sword all around the city. So there's like pieces of hair everywhere. And then scatter a third to the wind. He says, take a few and, and tuck them away into the folds of your garment Take these and throw them into the fire and burn them. Fire will spread from there to all of Israel. So Israel is going to get destroyed. Um, There's more about how Israel has rebelled and how he is inflicting punishment on Jerusalem. He said, and then my anger will cease. Wrath wrath against them will subside. Um, But then also says that there will be a plague and a famine. So it kind of goes back and forth between like, I am pouring out my wrath on you, but then it will... I will also at some point subside and I will gather the remnant of Israel back. Ezekiel 6 said the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. There was a prophecy against Israel um, saying, I'm going to bring a sword against you. There's altars smashed. Uh, Dead bodies will lay in front of their idols. He says that he will spare some and they will be scattered, but those who escape will remember him. Okay, then the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel. And it says that the end has come. There's a very, very long, like, poem, poetic form thing about the destruction that's going to happen and how they will know that the Lord is the Lord. Like, this is partly to show, like, his immense power and how these other idols can't do something like this, can't send this kind of destruction or, like, don't have this type of power. So part of this is to know that he is Lord. So then in Ezekiel 8, he was, um, Ezekiel was sitting in his house and the elders of Judah were sitting before, before him. And let's see, the hand of the sovereign Lord came to me there. I looked and I saw a figure like that of a man from what appeared to be his waist down. He was like fire. And from, and from there up, his appearance was as bright as glowing metal. He stretched out his hand He stretched out what looked like a hand and took me by the hair of my head. The spirit lifted me up between the earth and heaven and in visions of God, he took me to Jerusalem to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court where the idol that provokes to jealousy stood. And there before me was the glory of the God of Israel as in the vision I had seen in the plain. Okay, so 
God is showing him this vision of the gate of Israel and these idols. God told him to look up to the north and he saw this idol of jealousy. So then in this vision, he found a secret door and in it was kind of like a, oh my gosh, my cat just batted at the microphone. Um, he saw all sorts of like drawings of unclean things. So it was like cr crawling things and these unclean animals. And then he saw a bunch of men bowing to the sun. So he's seeing all this wickedness of Israel. And this is like really proving to him why, I mean, it's showing him, you know, why God is going to bring this destruction. So Ezekiel 9 says, bring near those who are appointed to execute judgment on the city, each with a weapon in his hand. So there's six men who are going to come and basically like kill everyone. But one of them, or like one man, is supposed to go through the entire city and mark all of the people who grieve and lament over the detestable things that the Israelites are doing. So if you remember my Catholic mass uh, podcast, I was talking about why we make the sign of the cross. Now this is more of like a Christian thing in general, I think. Well, maybe not. Maybe it's still just Catholics. But anyway, in Catholic mass, when they say the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're making like a sign of the cross over your body. This derives from this chapter right here in Ezekiel 9, where this man had to go around and mark on the foreheads people who basically were still righteous in the city, so they would be spared. Um, so that's where that comes from. So a little tie-in with a previous episode. Um, okay, so then everyone else that doesn't have this mark, kill them. Ezekiel is, is basically in mourning and asking God if he's going to destroy the entire remnant of Israel because he's seeing this destruction and he's like, God, do not, like, are you going to destroy everyone, basically, because it was such widespread destruction. So then... In Ezekiel 10, the guy had, who had run around to mark the righteous people, um, God told him to go scatter burning coals around the city. There was a cloud that filled the inner court, and it was the glory of God that was filling this inner court of the temple. And one of the cherubim, who is like the beings that Ezekiel saw before, those like non-human um, beings that were like flying around, uh, he gave, he reached out and gave that man the coals to like go burn the city. So this is verse nine. It says, I looked and I saw beside the cherubim four wheels, one beside each of the cherubim. The wheels sparkled like topaz. As for their appearance, the four of them looked alike. Each was like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the cherubim faced. The wheels did not turn about as the cherubim went. The cherubim went in whatever direction the head faced without turning as they went. Their entire bodies, including their backs, their hands, their wings, were completely full of eyes, as were their four wheels. I heard the wheels being called the whirling wheels. Each of the cherubim had four faces. One face that was, one face was that of a cherub, the second uh, the face of a human being, the third the face of a lion, the fourth the face of an eagle. Then the cherubim rose upward. These were the living creatures I had seen on the Kibar River. When the cherubim moved, the wheels beside them moved, and when the cherubim spread their wings to rise from the ground, the wheels did not leave their side. When the cherubim stood still, they also stood still, and when the cherubim rose, they rose with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was with them. <clears throat> okay, so then it says that the glory of the Lord then departed from the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim, cherubim 
Uh, it says, while he watched, the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground. Okay. These were the living creatures he had seen. Okay, so Ezekiel's seeing these beings and they are like moving as the glory of God is moving. Okay, Ezekiel 11, the spirit lifted him and brought him to the gate of the Lord where there were 25 men and those men were plotting evil, I think against, um, well, it's just for the whole city. Like they're, they're plotting evil and giving bad and evil advice to the city. So the Lord told Ezekiel to prophesy against him. Um, and he said, the Lord says he will drive these men out of the city and they will fall by the sword. You have not followed my decrees. So like, again, to his face, Ezekiel is supposed to prophesy <laughs> that these men are going to die, that they've done evil and then they're going to die. But then still Ezekiel says, will you completely destroy the remnant of Israel? Like he's still seeing so many people dying. Then God promises the return and how he will restore Israel and remove the idols and he will give them back the land of Israel. In Ezekiel 12, God told him to pack his belongings in the daytime as uh, the people watch and then put it in like the wall of his house. So then in the evening, they he will like dig out through the hole in the wall, get his stuff and go and move to another place. So all this is supposed to be done like as people are watching. And then there's more prophesying about the destruction. Um, <clears throat> and then he prophesies about how he's saying, like, the days are near when every vision will be fulfilled. For there will no be no more false visions or flattering divinations among the people of Israel, but the Lord will come without delay. So there was a proverb that basically says that none of the visions ever come true, none of the prophecies ever come true. And he's saying that that will not be said in Israel anymore because it is this destruction, this prophecy is going to be fulfilled very, very quickly. Ezekiel 13, he talks about how these prophets um, are false and they're prophesying peace when there's no peace. So this goes back to the whole thing where it's like, oh, in two years, it'll be okay. And when that's not actually what God said, he said, to the, those who are prophesying um, falsely, he will unleash a violent wind. It will tear down the wall you have covered with whitewash. And then it says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the women who sew magic charms on their wrists and make veils of various lengths uh, for their heads in order to ensnare people. Will you ensnare the lives of my people, but preserve your own? You have profaned me among my people for a few handfuls of barley and scraps of bread. By lying to my people who listen to lies... You have killed those who should not have died and spared those who should not live. Okay. So this was like a money making scheme, of course, where it's like you, you know, you're doing all this for just some barley and some bread. But the whole thing with like magic charms has not gone away. There's like all that. There's a ton of stuff now that's like making a resurgence, which is funny because everyone goes, oh, trust the science, trust the science all the time. But then... I see so many people into astrology, which has like no scientific backing and, um, crystals. So, so many people, like so many girls are now into crystals and astrology. Like this stuff may seem kind of crazy, like as we're reading in the old Testament, but it doesn't really go away. Like these things are really making a resurgence. Tarot card readings are really making a comeback. Like these things have not gone away were just as wicked, I feel like, as then. But anyway, 
So Ezekiel 14 says elders came out to Ezekiel to inquire of the Lord and he's told them to repent, turn from their wicked ways. If a country is wicked, then he will outstretch his hand. The righteous can only save themselves, not their families. And this is a section that talks about how everyone's decision is on them. So previously it would be like families would be saved or like a family would be righteous. Now it's like, um, yeah, if a father sins, like the father's on him, I mean, the, the punishment is on him. It doesn't automatically mean his son is going to be punished. If his son is righteous, he'll be saved. But everyone's own sin falls on their own shoulders. Ezekiel 15 and 16 is like two very long, well, actually 15 short, but um, there's a couple comparisons made in 15 and 16. One is that Israel is compared to a worthless vine that doesn't grow anything anymore. And then 16 compares Israel to an adulterous wife and a prostitute. That one is very long. There's many, many ways to say that Israel was like not faithful to God. Um, but yeah, he says that, um, Israel is a prostitute. Ezekiel 17 talks about this parable that I'm just going to read. Ezekiel 17 says, the word of the Lord came to me, the son of man, Son of man, set forth an allegory and tell it to the Israelites as a parable. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. A great eagle with powerful wings, long feathers, and a full plumage of varied colors came to Lebanon. Taking hold of the top of a cedar, he broke off its topmost shoot and carried it away to a land of merchants, where he planted it in a city of traders. He took one of the seedlings of the land and put it in fertile soil. He planted it like a willow by abundant water, and it sprouted and became low, spreading vine. Its branches turned toward him because its roots remained under it. So it became a vine and produced branches and put out, put out leafy boughs. But there was another eagle with powerful wings and full plumage. The vine now sent out its roots toward him from the plot where it was planted and stretched out because its branches to him for water. It had been planted in good soil by abundant water so that it would produce branches, bear fruit, and become a splendid vine. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Will it thrive? Will it not be uprooted and stripped of its fruit so that it withers? All its new growth will wither. It will not take a strong arm or many people to pull it up by the roots. It has been planted, but will it thrive? Will it not wither completely when the east wind strikes? Wither away in the plot where it grew? He will be... So, um, so this is talking about how like, if you don't have big roots and everything that they will be blown away. And that's like how the Israelites are. Ezekiel 18 says the one that sins will die. Again, this is bringing home the point that like, it is not like the child is not punished for the sins of the father. The father will be. Um, but again, like if the parent is righteous and the child sins, then the sin is just still only on the child. It does not reflect on the parents. Ezekiel 19, there's a long lament of the princes of Israel. Um, Ezekiel 20, there's another long thing about the destruction of Israel and then the renewal. The people, uh, wait, let's see. Oh, the people think that Ezekiel is just telling parables here. So he keeps prophesying and they're like, this will never come true. There's just, they're just parables. This is not going to happen. And, and they don't believe him. So, Ezekiel 21, the Lord told him to preach at the sanctuary and said that Babylon will be used as God's sword of judgment. And then there's more about how they're very, very wicked. Ezekiel 22 kind of goes the same 
way. So it's like a very long prophecy about destroying Israel again. And this is at the point where I was like, okay, I understand. Like, I get that the judgment day is coming, that there's all these prophecies about how God will be destroying the people. But then I was like, please, let's just get to the destroying part. Like, some of these are so long and and saying pretty much the same thing. I mean, I know you can get more out of each part and it's probably not good to be like, oh, this is such a boring book of the Bible, but maybe it was the mood I was in or something. But when I was reading this, I was like, this is so long. And he said the same prophecy so many times and people are just not listening. So I don't know. Um, okay. Then in Ezekiel 23, there's a story about two prostitutes and, um, let me see. I can probably read some of it. I think it was a, another kind of like parable and um, talking about how, you know, Israel has been unfaithful and it was like a a mirror, like a story that mirrors like real life. So, um, but it's a story about two, two prostitutes. And then Ezekiel 24 is the last one that we're going over today. And it says, for the time, wait, okay, for the time for the Lord has come to act. Um, the time for the Lord has come to act. Okay. So things are about to happen. There's more prophesying of the destruction. And then here's, I'm just going to read a chunk of this last one. It says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, with one blow, I am about to take away from you the delight of your eyes. Yet do not lament or weep or shed any tears. Groan quietly. Do not mourn for the dead. Keep your turban fastened and your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your mustache or beard or eat the customary food of mourners. So I spoke to my people in the morning and in the evening, my wife died. The next morning I did as I had been commanded. So this is another example where he makes Ezekiel do something. And then it's an example for Israel. So the destruction is about to come. Ezekiel's personal destruction kind of came as an example. So he said, like, your wife is going to die. Don't mourn and basically carry on grown quietly and carry on and go preach. So that happens. And then he goes that this is what happened, Israel. And this is what's going to happen to you. Like you're going to have this destruction, but more quietly stand back up and go kind of do your thing the next day. Um, and so, yeah, he made Ezekiel like walk the walk and say, yep, this is what you're supposed to do. And I know because I already did it. So that is where we leave off next week. We'll do the rest of Ezekiel. And I think more happens in Ezekiel from here on. So um, I will look forward to to that. But that's all for me today. Um, tune in f- uh, Monday for my next podcast episode. Right now I'm planning on doing um, a thing about Mormonism because I really, I've been wanting to research Mormonism for a long time. Like why Christians don't read the extra book and like where that came from and what their beliefs are and stuff like that. Right now, that's the plan. It could change over the weekend, but that is the plan. And then next week, um, we'll do another Bible study episode. So thank you all for listening and I'll see you on Monday. Bye.